Section 8 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 21. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 21. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 8. Sir Patrick Hume. A Tale of the House of Marchmont. From Tales of the Borders. By John Mackay Wilson. Sir Patrick Hume of Polworth was elected representative of the county of Berwick in the year 1665. Being then in the twenty-fifth year of his age, he was a lover of freedom, a lover of his country, and a staunch Presbyterian. The tyrant Charles, whom some falsely call the Merry Monarch, was then attempting to rule the empire with a rod of iron. You have all heard of his long parliament, and of his afterward governing the country like an absolute tyrant, without a parliament at all. Fettered and servile as parliaments then were, young hume had boldly stood forward as the advocate of civil and religious liberty and when the arbitrary monarch sent down a mandate to scotland for a levy of men and of money that he might carry his plans of despotism more effectually into execution sir patrick resisted the slavishness with which it was about to be obeyed what exclaimed he are we mere instruments in the hands of the king creatures appointed to minister to his pleasure are we not representatives of the people of scotland the representatives of their wants and their wishes and the defenders of their rights and shall we as such at the mere nod of a monarch drag them from following their plough in the valley or attending their hursels on the hill shall we do these things and lay contributions on their cattle on their corn and on their coffers merely because his majesty wills it pause my countrymen the king has no authority to compel such a measure and it can only be rendered legal by the concurrence of the assembled representatives of the people treason vociferated the duke of lauderdale who was the arch-minion of charles before the parliament of scotland i denounce sir patrick hume as a dangerous man as a plotter against the life and dignity of our sovereign lord the king what exclaimed sir patrick indignantly fixing his eyes upon lauderdale though there may be among us a slave who would sell his country for a royal smile i still hope that this is a free parliament and it concerns all the members to be free in what concerns the nation from that day sir patrick hume became a suspected man and the eyes of the king's creatures were upon him and when two years afterward charles endeavored to put down the people with the sword and established garrisons throughout the country again the laird of polwarth stood foremost in the ranks of opposition and resisted his power the king accordingly ordered his privy council to crush so dangerous a spirit and sir patrick was confined in stirling castle where with the exception of a short interval he was imprisoned two years 
Britain had long been distracted with the pretended discovery of the fabulous or ridiculous plots against the royal family, and the perjury of paid miscreants like the infamous Titus Oates was causing the scaffolds to run with blood. But tyranny being glutted with Catholic blood, and the extinguishing of what were called popish plots, the myrmidons of Charles, who lived a libertine and died a papist, professed that they had discovered a Protestant plot against his royal person. In this plot were included the incorruptible Algernon Sidney, Lord Russell, Mr. Bailey of Jerviswood, and Sir Patrick Hume. They beheld their common country withering and wasting beneath the grasp of a tyrant, and true it is they had united together to restore it to freedom. But they were innocent of designs against his life, or even of a wish to dethrone him. They did not, however, act sufficiently in concert, and were unable to bring their plans into operation. A price was set upon their heads. Some fled into exile, and others sought refuge on the mountain and in the wilderness, while the amiable Russell died upon the scaffold. It was near nightfall in the month of September, 1684, when Jamie Winter, who was joiner on the estate of Polworth, ran breathless up to Redbrace Castle, and knocked loudly at the door. It was opened by John Allen, the land steward, who, perceiving his agitation, inquired, In the name of goodness, Jamie, what's happened? Or what do ye want? Dins ask, Maister Allen, replied Jamie, but for heaven's sake, tell me, is Sir Patrick at home? And let me speak to him presently, as ye value his life. Follow me then, Jamie, said the other, and come in quietly, that the servants may not here observe anything extraordinaire, for we live in times when a man cannot trust his ain brother. The honest joiner was ushered into a room where Sir Patrick sat in the midst of his family, acting at once as their schoolmaster and their playmate. Weel, James, said the laird, I understand he had been at Berwick the day you've got early back. What's uncos heard you here? I want Sir Patrick, replied the other. Nowadays, I think there's nothing uncou that can happen. Satan seems to have been let loose on our poor, misgoverned country. But I wish to speak to your honor very particularly, and in private, if you please. You may speak on, James, said the laird. I am private in the midst of my own family. Will your good leave, sir, returned the cautious servant. I would rather the bairns were oot out of the way, for what I has to say is no prosper for them to hear, and the sooner ye are acquainted with it, the better. Sir Patrick led his younger children out of the room, but requested Lady Polworth and their eldest daughter, Grizel, a lovely dark-haired girl, about twelve years of age, to remain. You are the bearer of evil tidings, James, said he, as he returned, but you may tell them now. It is meet that my wife should hear them, if they concern me, and, added he, taking Grizel's hand in his, I keep no secrets from my little secretary. God bless her, said James. She's an old firend bairn, as wise as she's bonny I keen at. But, your honor, I am indeed the bearer of evil tidings. A party o' troopers arrived at Berwick this morning, and it was nay secret that there would be bath at Jerviswood and red brace before midnight. 
i heard them talk of the premium that was set upon your life and slipped out of the town immediately without performing a single transaction or speaking a word to a living creature how i've got along the road is more than i can tell you for i was literally sick blind and desperate with grief i have this minute arrived and whatever can be done to save you mon be done instantly lady Polworth burst into tears sir patrick grasped the hand of his faithful servant little grizel gazed into her father's face with a look of silent despair but neither spoke nor wept oh fly i fly instantly my dear husband cried lady Polworth, and heaven direct you be composed my love said sir patrick i fear that flight is impossible but some means of evading them may perhaps be devised oh my leddy said jamie winter to flee is out of the question altogether government has its spies at every turn of the road in every house in the country even in this house our only hope is to conceal sir patrick but how or where is it not my comprehension many were the schemes devised by the anxious wife many the suggestions of her husband and honest jamie proposed numerous plans but each was in its turn rejected as being unsafe more than an hour had passed in these anxious deliberations within three hours more and the king's troops would be at his gate Brazil had till now remained silent and dashing away the first tear that rolled down her cheek she flung her arms around her father's neck and exclaimed in an eager and breathless whisper i can a place father i can a place that the king's troopers and his spies will never find out and i'll stop beside ye to bear ye company bless my bairn said sir patrick pressing her to his bosom and where's this place dearest the isle below poworth kirk father returned grizel nay trooper will find out such a hiding-place for the mouth's a bit weak hole and the long grass and the docks and the nettles grow over it and i could slip out and in without trampling them down and naebody would think o seeking ye there father lady polworth shuddered and sir patrick pressed the cheek of his lovely daughter to his lips save us a bairn said jamie there's surely something no earthly about your ladyship for you have mere senses than us put together the isle is the very place i'll steal away and a ha kind o bed put up in it and take other two or three bits o necessary things and sir patrick you'll slip out of the house and meet me there as soon as possible within an hour sir patrick had joined jamie winter in the dark and dismal aisle the humble bed was soon and silently fitted up and the faithful servant wishing his master farewell left him alone in his dreary prison house slow and heavily the hours of darkness moved on he heard the trampling of the troopers horses galloping in quest of him the oaths and imprecations of the riders fell distinctly on his ears amid such sounds he heard them mention his name but his heart failed not he knelt down upon the cold damp floor of his hiding-place upon the bones of his fathers and there in soundless but earnest prayer supplicated his father's god to protect his family to save his country to forgive his persecutors and to do with him as seemed good in his sight he arose and laying himself upon his cold and comfortless bed slept calmly he awoke shivering and benumbed faint streaks of light stole into the place through its narrow aperture dimly revealing the ghastly sights of the charnel house and the slow reptiles that crawled among the floor 
again night came on and the shadows of light if i may use the expression which revealed his cell died away a second morning had come and a second time the feeble rays had been lost in utter darkness it was near midnight and the slender stock of provisions which he had brought with him were nigh exhausted he started from his lowly couch he heard a rustling among the weeds at the mouth of the aisle he heard someone endeavouring to remove the fragment of an old gravestone that covered it father whispered an eager voice father it is me your ain gazelle my devoted matchless child said sir patrick stretching his hands towards the aperture and receiving her in his arms she sat down beside him on the bed she detailed the search of the troopers she stated that they were watched in their own house that a spy was set over the very victuals that came from their table lest he should be concealed near and fed by his family but what of that continued the light-hearted and heroic girl while my plate is supplied my father shall not be empty and here added she laughing here is a flask of wine cakes and a sheep's head but i will tell you a story about the sheep's head it was placed on a plate before me at dinner-time the servant was out of the room nobody was looking and i whooped it into my apron little sandy wanted a piece and turning round for it and missing the head ah mother he cried our grizzly has swallowed a sheep's head bones and i at this moment wee's laddie said mother eat she next and then oh ye greedy grizzly shaking his little neve in my face i'll mind ye for this i'm sure sandy will ne'er forget me said i and slipped away out to hide the sheep's head in my own room and as soon as i thought nobody was astir i creeped out quietly by the window and got down here behind the hedges and i'll come every night father but last night the troopers were still about the house in spite of his misery sir patrick laughed at the ingenuity of his beloved and heroic daughter then wept and laughed again and pressed her to his bosom he had passed many weeks in this cheerless dungeon with no companion during the day save a volume of buchanan psalms but every night he was visited by his intrepid daughter who at once supplied him with food and beguiled the hours of his solitude he was sitting in the gloomy cell conning over his favorite volume the stone at the aperture had been pushed aside a few inches to emit the light more freely and the weeds of the entrance were now bowed down and withered by the frost a few boys were playing in the churchyard and tossing a ball against the kirk being driven from the hand of an unskilful player it suddenly bounded into the aisle sir patrick started and the book dropped from his hand immediately the aperture was surrounded by the boys and the stone removed they stood debating who should enter but none had sufficient courage at length one more bold than the rest volunteered to enter if another would follow him the laird gave himself up as lost for he knew that even the tale of a schoolboy would effect his ruin he was aware he could disperse these with a single groan but even that when told to his enemies might betray him at length three agreed to enter and the feet of the first protruded into the aisle sir patrick crept silently to his furthest corner when the gruff voice of the old grave-digger reached his ears shouting 
the mischief's in the callens and the good what are you doing there do you want the gusts of the old hooms about your lugs the boys fled amain and the old man came growling to the mouth of the aisle the devil's in the bairns old polworth said he for they would disturb the very dead in their graves i'll declare they've the same free the mouth of the aisle he stooped down and sir patrick saw his grim visage through the aperture and heard him thus continue his soliloquy as he replaced the stone sorrow take the hands that move the stone ye hardly worth a covering up again fear or profitless hold to me and i fancy that him i should lay his knee next but he where he likes will gang the gate that is freed bailey gaed yesterday on a scaffold the grave-digger's a poor business i'm sorry to say in our king's reign and the faint inane thrives but the common executioner so saying he enveloped sir patrick in utter darkness that night grizel and her father left the isle together and from her he learned the particulars of what he had heard muttered by the grave-digger that his friend mr bailey of jervis wood had been executed the day previous disguised and in the character of a surgeon he by byways reached london and from thence fled to france on the death of charles and when the bigot james ascended the throne sir patrick was one of the leaders of the band of patriots who drew their swords in behalf of protestant succession that enterprise was unsuccessful and after contending almost single-handed against the enemies of his religion and his country he and his family sought refuge in a foreign land he assumed the name of dr peter wallace and they took up their abode in utrecht there poverty and privation sought and found the exiles they had parted with every domestic and the lovely gazelle was the sole servant and helper of her mother and when their work was done the assistant of her father in the education of the younger children for he had no longer the means of providing them a tutor and theirs was a family of love a family of happiness and poverty purified their affections but their remittances from scotland were not only scanty but uncertain till now sir patrick had borne his misfortunes with resignation and even cheerfulness he cared not that he was stripped of attendance and of every luxury of life yet at times the secret and unbidden tears would start in his eyes as he beheld his wife and his fair daughter performing without a murmur the most menial offices but the measure of his trials were not yet full luxuries were not only denied him but he was without food to set before his children the father wept and his spirit heaved with anguish grizel beheld his tears and she knew the cause she spoke not but hastening to her little cabinet she took from it a pair of jewelled bracelets and wrapping herself up in a cloak she took a basket under her arm and hurried to the street the gentle being glided along the streets of utrecht with her eyes fixed upon the ground and shunning the glances of the passengers as if each knew her errand she stood before a shop in which all manner of merchandise was exposed and three golden balls were suspended over the door she cast a timid glance into that shop thrice she passed and repassed it and repeated the timid glance she entered she placed the bracelets upon the counter how much was the laconic question 
of the shopman. Grizel burst into tears. He handed her a sum of money across the counter and deposited the bracelets in his desk. She bounded from the shop with a heart and a step light as a young bird in its first pride of plumage. She hastened home with her basket well filled. She placed it upon the table. Lady Polworth wept and fell upon her daughter's neck. Where have you been, Grizel? faltered her father. Purchasing provisions for a bauble, said she, and the smile and the tear were seen on her cheek together. But many were the visits which the gentle Grizel had to pay to the golden balls, while one piece of plate was pledged after another, that her father and her mother and her brethren might eat and not die. And even then the table of Sir Patrick, humble as it was, and uncertainly provided for, was open to the needy of his countrymen. Thus three years passed, the memorable 1668 arrived. Sir Patrick was the friend, the counsellor, and supporter of King William. He arrived with him in England. He shared in his triumph. He was created Lord Polworth, and appointed Sheriff of Berwickshire. And, in 1696, though not a lawyer, but an upright man, he was made Lord Chancellor of Scotland, and created Earl of Marchmont, and Lord of Polworth, Redbrace, and Greenlaw. He was one of the most ardent promoters of the Union, and with it ceased his political career. In 1710, when the Tories came into power, the Earl being the staunchest Whig in Scotland, he was deprived of the office of Sheriff of Berwickshire, was reinstated in 1715. His lady being dead, he came to take up his residence in Berwick-upon-Tweed, and there, when the heroic Grizel, who was now a wife and a mother, being married to the son of his unfortunate friend, Mr. Bailey of Jerviswold, came with her children and friends to visit him for the last time. As they danced in the hall, though unable to walk, he desired to be carried into the midst of them, and beating time with his foot. "'See, Grizel,' exclaimed the old patriot, "'though your father is unable to dance, he can still beat time with his foot.' Shortly after this, he died in Berwick, on the 1st of August, 1724, in the 83rd year of his age, leaving behind him an example of piety, courage, and patriotism, worthy the imitation of posterity. End of Section 8 Read by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida